0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where I've messed up this intro. I've just totally bogged it up. That's because, well, one, Alton's back. Hey! Hey! hey. Rebs is here. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> obviously, you know I'm here because I'm talking. Otherwise, that would be really weird. But we have a, an amazing guest host uh, on with us tonight. You may have heard of him. He's been on the show one or two times before. Damn, uh, author be? and amazing amazing individual tracy hickman so, yes we need to this is good
1: to be here once again on dungeon crawlers radio where my career began <laughs> I don't
0: know i'm how glad awesome. that
2: you have finally <laughs> recognized that
1: you know, it was the podcasting <laughs> career most certainly i think this yeah. is probably one of the first podcasts actually that i uh, was ever on
2: like many other best-selling new york or New York Times best-selling authors from the '80s, your career started on Dungeon Crawlers Radio.
1: Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah, okay. i I think that that's. I think that <laughs> I. You know, I. I don't see why you can't claim that everyone else has. You might as well as so,
0: well. So. Nice. I, I do remember how long it took me to get the courage up just to ask, to, for you to come on the show. It was ridiculous. I stood there for like an hour. It was, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was really yeah. pretty excited about it, too, because, you know, this is this my chance to really get into broadcast, and uh, I was very excited, actually, to see uh, the uh, Dungeon Crawler's office building and the headquarters of uh, Dungeon Crawler's International. Um, I, I, I must admit, it was not as impressive uh, when I arrived as I expected it to be, but uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, nobody mugged me and,
0: uh, I, I, we had a really good time. And in true fashion, we were in the basement. So, Hey,
1: that's right. We were indeed in, yeah. at like all dungeon crawlers should be in the basement.
3: Yes. And in our defense at this time, we have spread the show out across three different locations. So we've gone to three, three times the size of the company originally. Yes. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant exposure. variety. Yes, yes. get paid an
0: exposure. <laughs> Much
2: of it indecent. But Dan, <laughs> the people at home might be asking, why is Tracy on with us tonight?
0: Well, so for those of you that have been a long-time listener, you know that Tracy and he and Howard Taylor and his son Curtis put together a pretty amazing little gaming system called XDM or Extreme Dungeon Master, and they have now kickstarted a second edition or second version uh you know hey it's role-playing
1: games every role-playing game has a second edition yeah right that's right yeah any any or multiple editions apparently from yeah. recent is of <laughs> any any judge but yeah any every role-playing game should have a second edition and xdm extreme dungeon mastery should uh, be no exception yes i mean i i i did i i did go online the other day and uh, just, you know, to revel in the, the old glory, you know, as, as, a, as a former celebrity, I wanted to go back and relive the glory days of XDM. And uh, so I went online and discovered that uh, hardback XDM copies were being sold on Amazon for $973 a piece. What? what?
0: I still have my original copy. Dang it. <laughs>
1: I know you could have really made bank on that. Oh,
0: no, it's worth more staying here. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: the way that everyone else felt too, which is why the one copy that people keep passing around was currently at $973. (laughs) It's like a physical NFT.
1: And, it and is. It is a, that's good. Physical I said, actual NFT. physical NFT. Wow. Man, Almost guys, as valuable as an NFT.
2: Business <laughs> idea. What if we like made something and then sold it to people? What if it was collectible? Like there was only, Yeah, there's like thing? a limited well, number of them. <laughs> I only
1: have one copy of XCM uh, remaining in my position. And this is copy I'm holding in my, my hand right now which is distinguished by the fact that it is signed by everybody except me. (laughs) Actually, this particular copy is signed by um, the cast of the Guild. Oh, wow. So yeah, Felicia Day and her crew. I'll find this copy and it's the only copy I have. So now when I run an XDM game, I have to like take this invaluable copy with me and you know and, it, and
2: run the game for if there. you want to complete the signatures on there. I know a guy, he's a friend of the show. We can get a Tracy Hickman signature for you.
0: Hey, well, mine whoa, has whoa, the whoa. Tracy Hickman signature.
2: No, not 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 him. He's too big. <laughs> okay, okay. But so, yeah, so so the Kickstarter's launched already, right?
1: Yeah, the Kickstarter watch. We, we decided that $973 was really way too much money or more particularly, we decided we just hadn't printed enough books. <laughs> so, um, but in true, you know, dungeon fashion, we decided that what we really needed to do was to produce a second edition to do things, um, uh, to add some things uh, to this uh, particular book that that weren't there on the original edition. Um, things like, um, grammar <laughs> and uh, spelling and um, um, but more particularly to update it and and to bring some new ideas and uh, uh, to the book as well so it's it's actually been a fun journey to include some new things in um, in this edition and bring it a little bit more up to date I think. The uh,
2: girthier mirthier doubled down second edition. Absolutely. I
1: like that title. Love absolutely. So we're looking. We're very much looking forward to the bug. It, it did fund very quickly, and and um, uh, they've just put up some new uh, stretch goals. I think for the project, um, one of which is uh, I will run a game um, for uh, a limited number of people. Nice. Um, yeah, it'll be all the all zoomy, you know, but we're all used to that. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, taking a, taking a look at this right now, uh, we've passed the $75,000 mark. We got 15 days left by the time people of the internet, you are hearing this, it will be less than 15 days left. So make sure to go to Kickstarter, check out XDM, Extreme Dungeon Mastery, second edition, the cure for the common game and, uh, check out some of the cool stuff in the campaign. I think it's going to be pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Check it out, especially as a wonderful, um, uh, Uh, Well, there's a sales video, of course, by me that is extremely cheesy. And in fact, I think cheesy was the operative word that uh, many of the comments uh, used. But beyond that, there's actually a very interesting, there's also an additional video that you'll see um, a link from uh, in the Kickstarter campaign um, uh, that talks about uh, XDM and how it really is, uh, very much a, a pillar for some people in terms of of how to play their games and how to run their games, and um, and has done very much what I had hoped it would do, which is bring adventure and excitement back into adventure games. Yeah. So yeah, please come take a look at the uh, at the Kickstarter. Join us if you will. Become an XDM yourself, and um, and elevate your games. That's that's what XDM is all about.
2: You know, it, and that really rings true. It's something that we've talked about a lot on the phone and, or a lot <clears throat> on the show here. And I know that, you know, you've talked about it even on the show and in other places plenty of times over the years is about how good story and uh, even in the context of games, even in the context of fantasy or fiction can be a meaningful life impacting experience to people. Um uh, and, and we wholeheartedly stand behind that. What, what to you has been one of those impactful stories that has, has really helped turn that key for someone else?
1: Well, there's, there are a lot of stories of the people that we've met down through the years. I mean, people, um, and people very often will come to us at conventions, for example, and will start telling us about our games, you know, about my module or my game or my book, and on the you know on the surface of that it seems ridiculous, you know, why why are you telling me about my book? But I've come to understand, and uh, and it's an important um, important idea that when people come to tell me about my book they're not telling me about my book they're telling me about their performance of my book they're telling me about the experience that they created in in reading those books that was made real for them in a unique way and it's it's because it's because of this collaboration that takes place between author and um and reader, um, where uh, the 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 writer provides the text, and the text actually is very low density in terms of uh, data information. It uh, a, an entire one hundred twenty thousand word uh, book takes up less space than the worst phone that camera uh, picture that you can take there's just not that much data and information that's there but what happens is in this string of words and spaces that what happens is that in that white space in between those words there's a creation that takes place in the reader and the reader becomes an active participant in creation all the sights the sounds the smells the experience the emotion everything all of that happens in that white space between the words, and that is that gap is all filled in with experience from the reader. So, the reader becomes a participant in the creation of what happens here in, in the written word, and because of that, it becomes hugely impactful to them in within the context of their lives. I I, I remember. Um, uh, uh, there, there are many, many moments that I remember meeting and connecting with fans and meeting with fans down through the years. Um, uh, I, I, I remember in, in because Martin and I will go to conventions or we'll go to book signings and we'll see people across the table from us. And, and every one of them is very smart. They know that they've only got a, a moment of our time, right? And so as they pass in front of us, we, we take the book, and it, it also almost becomes a rhythm. Where we take the book, we ask them what their name is, thank them for coming, what did you enjoy about the book, who would you like this sign to, sign the book, thank them and pass the book on and go to the next person. People are very smart and they know that they've only got a moment with you and so they know that they've only got that moment to really convey to you the deep impact that this book has had with in their life and having literally hundreds of deeply impactful moments one after the other can be pretty uh numbing in some ways after a while because you've You have to give a piece of yourself every time that happens. So um, we were, uh, Margaret and I were in a book signing in uh, Fort Lewis, um, uh, up in Washington State and a military base. And this was a few years back. And um, the uh, fellow who ran the PX said to us, this isn't like other book signings. So these these are wives and and families who have come to get their books signed to get your book signed for their warriors who are in Afghanistan and they don't know if they'll be coming home. There are soldiers and warriors who will be in line today who are being deployed to Afghanistan next week and they don't know if they're coming home. So with this kind of solemnness we were sent into this uh, in to the PX where we were signing these books there were maybe about 500 people here in line to get books signed. And so we settle in and we fall into the rhythm and we take the book and ask them their name and sign the book and thank them and move on and I um, I reached across the table and I looked up and there was, uh, I saw the book first. The book was this annotated Chronicles collection of our first three books. And it was the most dog-eared thing I had ever seen. <laughs> the corners were curled, the, pa- the the cover was torn and and it had generally just taken a beating. And I looked past the book, and I saw a, a young man, uh, another gaunt young man in a wheelchair. And he he said to me, this book has been with me everywhere. I take it everywhere I go. I read the first ones when I was the boy. And I carry this with me and take it with me everywhere I go. It's jumped with me from 30,000 feet. It's been under the oceans. He's, and then he said, I've, I was, and, and I was looking at this warrior and many, many years before when Margaret and I had written the, uh, our first books together there was the story about this warrior named Sturm, and Sturm um, was in his heart a knight, but had never gone through the actual process. and the And the the knights of the actual order despised him and refused him uh, to be uh, become a member of their order. But when the forces of darkness attacked the the, the uh, great tower and all of the knights fled the battlements Sturm was the only one who stayed and he stood against he stood against the darkness he stood against the evil and and he died on the wall and his death so inspired and shamed the knights at the same time that they remounted the barricades, remounted the walls and fought in his name uh, to victory. Well, I'm looking at this young, this young man in this wheelchair across from me. And he said to me, read these books when I was a boy, but I was in Afghanistan, he said, I was on point. And I got shot. Uh, and he, as it turns out, he was shot in the back and shattered his spine. He says, and as I fell down, I could see the Taliban across the ravine on the other side, setting up a mortar emplacement. And he said, as I felt to the ground, as was lying on the ground, he said, the thought that came to me was, what would Sturm do? And he said, I got up with, with my broken back and I warned my squad So he said, I this book, as he touched the book, he's this book saved twelve men's lives that day. Wow. And then he pulled his hands out on top of the table, <clears throat> and he pushed his Purple Heart and his bronze star across the table. Wow. And he said, these are yours. And I keep them on my desk to remind me every day of why it is we write about honor and sacrifice and truth it isn't that our words were greater than other words but it was that they inspired people to do great things and that's why we write that's why these games are or, uh, these why these games are important. It's not just about diversion or entertainment. It, it is an opportunity for us to live, um, live out truths to the point where we can can make them a part of ourselves and impact the world, change the world through action.
0: Yeah. Thank you that's amazing that is amazing you know and,
2: and 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 that absolutely resonates deeply with me i see josh and dan both a little more held and reserved than maybe we normally get on the show as well and you reserved,
0: know. man. I'm sitting here teary <laughs> <I'm not reserved.
2: laughs> I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to uh, try to cause you any grief because because I, you know, we're the only ones that can see the camera
0: right now. That's no, okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'll call it out. I am I, not afraid to cry. But but you that's know, right. Even
2: even though not every story that we write or tale that we tell is going to be that for somebody, it could be. Mm. And that's, that's where finding things that help us to hone our craft, but also to connect with other people and to, yes, have moments of levity and moments of seriousness and moments where we write the critical piece that propels us onto the next adventure are all important. Um, I'm really, really grateful that you, that you shared that story with us. Um, even though it isn't directly related to XDM itself, I think that it helps to illustrate the idea that like we, 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 everybody, the same way that, that you did, I know early on in, in your career, start with play, right? We start with playing things out in our minds and at our tables and with our friends and sometimes even with strangers, but we, we, we practice. And over time, we fine tune and find more opportunities to go. And so, you know, hopefully, uh, XDM can be a great thing for other people. And hopefully if you're enjoying listening to dungeon crawlers radio, we've been of some help to you as well. Uh, but I'm trying to make as awkward and clean of a segue as I can into our <laughs> next segment, which is since we have Tracy on, and since we are all here tonight, and since we are all talking about the impacts of story, I think that uh, there are some burning questions across the internet that we might be able to help answer for people. What do you think,
0: Dan? Yeah. I mean, we definitely jump into those, but you know, the one thing I, I just want to go back and tie in um, that is the fascinating, wonderful thing about the Dragonlance series. You know, I read it growing up. I like, I admitted I just re- listened to, you know, uh, test of the twins, a war of the twins, excuse me, a war of the twins Test of the twins is next, or uh, I may be getting them all backwards. Cause I'm, I'm c- confuzzled and yeah, emotions are running high, but Every character at one point in their story arc, I could relate to. You know, I could relate to Raceland and feeling like he was the, you know, the oddball, that no one cared about him, that he, you know, he was the weakling kind of of the group. Um, there are times when I have felt like Caramon, where, you know, everyone's moved on, I'm stuck. You know, and I'm in this woe is me misery, and I don't know how to get out of it. There are times where I felt like Tannis, where I'm in charge, but I don't know how to lead, but I'm expected to be the leader. Um, You know, there are times where I'm I'm just the wonderless kinder that's just wandering around, It's super excited, um, waiting for the next exciting thing around the corner. Um, that is the um, the great thing about the series, you know, and there have been the times that I have been the, you know, Sturm, standing on the battlements, facing the darkness by myself, and you know, hoping that by my actions that that will be the catalyst to inspire others, so that is what is, you know, fundamentally the joy of that series, and which always brings me back to reading it, even when I can read other things. It's just, fun and amazing. And there are, I mean, clearly there are a a horde of people that feel the same way out there. Some very popular and well-known, others that are just quiet warriors that no one knows uh, except for their family and friends. Uh, So that is an amazing story. Um, And and what an honor to, to be awarded those awards, those medals of his saying, you know, this is because of you. So that's just, that's amazing. Um, Hopefully there'll be some fun Dragonlance stuff in the future too. Yes, this, th- and, and there may be folks, there may be, and there may be some stuff hinted at later today, today on this episode. But with that, we have Segwayed. Uh, we will talk about um, questions. I mean, the, the, the joy of role playing, and I—I've I, carried it for 30 years now. Has always been story. You know, it's what you create. It's the story you get to tell at the table, and it's a collective story. It's not just yours as the DM. Uh, the players are adding to that. If it's just you telling the story, you might be doing it wrong. But that's just my opinion. It, your opinion may be completely different, and that's okay. But it's the storytelling at the table. It's this fun event where there are moments of levity, there are moments of danger and dread, and your character is about to die, and someone does something ridiculous and stupid, and somehow you survive. We don't know how, but it happens. Um, (laughs) And with XDM, I think it pulls out, because my opinion, I may get yelled at this, but there are some game systems out there that it's just overly complicated, and you miss the fun marks. XDM definitely takes that out of the equation and you just get to have the fun with simple rules. So let's jump into some questions. Um, I don't know if you have one ready while I try to find
2: no absolutely um and uh, just as a reference to all you dungeon crawlers out there listening to us you could in fact be participating in the show if you have a burning question something that's always on your mind or something that you're trying to get solved maybe it won't be addressed on the episode today but you can find us on discord or go to dungeoncrawlersradio.com and you can send us an email there by which we'll be able to start amassing more of these questions for future episodes this is something that we hope to be doing more regularly in the future with wonderful guests like tracy and others so that we can do a good job of helping give you some strong tools to help your games really really shine yes so today's questions come from a smattering of different places across the internet as well as some of the things that we've been asked in the past, either by you or other fans of the show. And hopefully we'll have some fun stuff for you.
1: Oh I want a smattering question. I want ooh. a smattering question.
2: Go ahead. Please.
1: No, I don't know. I just, he, he he just wants one. He wants questions. you to
3: lob him a question. He's already ready. As the master storyteller, he's like, wait a minute, I know all the answers. Give me a softball.
1: And if I don't know the answer, I'll no make one, one up. does. That's right. I mean, it's your job. When I, when my son and I were going to, uh, we, were, we were driving down to Las Vegas, actually to fly to Gen Con. He was going to help help out at Gen Con one year. And he asked me a question on the way down uh, on the road and I gave him an answer. And then there was this silent pause in the back seat, And he said, you just made that up. And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. He said, "How long have you been doing that?" I said, "How long have you known me?" <laughs> He's. I said, "I'm the dad. I'm supposed to know the answers. And if I don't know the answer, I got to make one up."
2: Totally brilliant.
1: brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. it was. It was. It, it, and in that moment, he became a man. What can I say?
2: <laughs> yeah. So,
0: funnily enough, everything
2: up. Funnily enough, uh, that's actually kind of a softball issue question, but I know that it's something that I've been asked many, many times from people who are afraid to ask it publicly, which is, how do I get better at making things up? I have some thoughts, but I'm very interested to hear from Tracy what some of yours might be.
1: Well, it's just like, uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. I mean, you know, start with making up little stuff. And then move on to the bigger stuff, you know, when you're making up stuff, muscles get better. And mm-hmm. I've been making stuff up most of my life. And so, you know, I'm like an Olympic making stuff upper, mm. uh, you know, I mean, I may not be a gold medalist, but you know, I have a good shot at silver bronze, maybe, you know, or at least, you know, some sort of world ranking there. Yeah. So definitely hall of fame.
0: Yeah. You uh, see, <laughs> a- a- exactly. So, so I have found a question. I think, this should be the very first question because i like where it's going um so the problem is for this this player is uh so i'm going to read the question as it is written out so let me explain my problem you've got let's say an air elemental you want to kill and it's basically made of air how do you kill it simply by hitting it with any weapon seems a little bit illogical to me it's air and you can't kill it uh with it not even with a non-magical spork or can you?
3: So I have some thoughts on this. And, and for the context, and I'm sure longtime listeners, you guys are tired of hearing this. I haven't, I, I don't play or GM, I'm sorry, DM Dungeons and Dragons, or rather, I haven't done so for 30 years. I've done other systems, I've done other games, but even so. Uh, so, so the point is that my, my opinion comes from being a GM generally or a storyteller and may not jive with all systems, but that's okay. Because remember, if you've listened to any of our previous GM seminars, this world is yours to craft and the players are there to help tell their story, right? Um, air elemental, I get it. Don't take it too literally. When it comes to elementals, what we're talking about is that someone through druidic power, magic, psionics, mysticism, whatever you want to call it, depending on the system, they have used an element to make something corporal something with that's physical, something with a body, something with intent, something with ability and inability and strengths and weaknesses. Yes, it's air, but that's just a material. That's just like saying, well, I made a creature out of thread, but how can it be strong? Well, it's you ever you know, that you've ever seen carbon fiber before. I mean, that's just thread, right? The idea is yeah. that you take an element out of nature and from that you make a formidable, monster but you've made something magical you've made something different it's not just air anymore and so weapons of various flavors and types and of backgrounds of special abilities those can be used to damage the magic to damage the physical corporal existence of the thing to dispel the monster depending on the system so don't think of it as just air because it's not just
2: air yeah if i can expand on that um, in in a lot a lot of the worlds that I've created and run, um, I actually run elemental style creatures, similarly and from a lore capacity to the way that liches are, right? Liches all have a central phylactery that is the center of their being and life force. And if you can destroy it, you destroy them. If you can control it, you control them, right? And that's a creative way that I've given a workaround to lower level parties and things like that is they happen to slice through the thing and hit that center crystal or whatever the case may be that allows them through. But one of the only reasons that that works and also the reason that I agree with Krebs on his statement as well is because there's an important question that needs to be answered before that, which is what is going to be cool and fun for my players? Yes. For some groups, that technicality of you are swinging at air might actually be a fun puzzle for them to solve. It may be a way for their wizard who's been languishing in the background as the barbarian and the fighter have been taking care of everything in melee combat to finally feel effective and a part of the group or to use that one spell that they've been holding on to forever. It may be an opportunity for you to pass a message through to the group instead, where you turn it from being a combat encounter into something a little more meaningful that propels the story in a different direction. If you focus on what's going to be great for your players at the table, instead of just having to read the stat block and do the stat block and do the lore, you're probably going to end up having a much better time. But Tracy, what are some of your thoughts?
1: Well, I think I'd go with the vacuum. Yeah. I think I'd also go <laughs> I think I'd also go with the fireball and just to use the fire to consume uh, the oxygen within the space and see how it likes them apples. Um, I, I think uh, going along with what Alvin was saying, actually, what's going to be fun for the players and what's going to be fun for the players is uh, is the primary consideration. So whatever your rules are about era elementals, one, of course, they need to be consistent. That's a primary XDM rule. Mm-hmm. But But more than that, you have to have available to the players, all of the tools, skills and abilities for them to defeat the elemental, Whatever that means in your universe. Oh, so it's not, or as someone once said to me and as XDM teaches us all, um, where there is Superman, there must be kryptonite. I mean, yes. has anybody ever thought about how many? I, kryptonite, is like this rare metal. It's this element that is supposed to be like the downfall of Superman. And yet, there are so many different flavors of kryptonite. And, and you can pretty much get kryptonite at the 7-Eleven, you know, <laughs> it's like on a Tuesday morning when the delivery's just taken place. And the reason for that is that without kryptonite, Superman becomes super boring. You just fix anything. That's right. And the same is true with the air elemental. I mean, you, you, the the, uh, the the creature itself has to have within it the seeds of its own destruction, so that um, so that there is challenge in play, and uh, and so that yeah, so that. You are collaborating with the players rather than in a, an adversarial relationship
3: with them. That and is right out of one of our GM seminars. That's we talked about. Yeah. You made two salient points there. That I'm hope well. You made multiple salient points, but there are two that stand out for me. Which is that you're as the GM, you're working with the players, not against them. And every challenge must have within the player's abilities, a solution. And there are special cases where if you're trying to guide the narrative, or if you're trying to set up a monster now that they will defeat later, you can put them in a seemingly impossible situation as long as they have a way out.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, I would, uh, on the heels of this, and just from previous experience, and and I'm sorry to hog the airtime here, but, um, but I would say if you're going to have a Deus Ex monster don't follow it up with a deus ex machina in other words if you as the gm are going to put something that's totally in your control in front of the players and they have no way to defeat it do not then meet the players with something that's totally in your control to save them because then what have the players done the players have done nothing They just showed up to your movie right um so make sure that you don't make that mistake i've seen that before it's it's very boring
2: uh, one one uh, critical exception to that that I will say before I pass it back to Dan for the next question is if you have a party of bards with no weapons and they're about to face an air elemental, give them a few dozen eggs and make sure that they understand that a meringue is just whipped air. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Dan, what do we have
0: next? Well, I'll just answer the kryptonite question. There are eight different forms of kryptonite. Uh, nice. And if you watch the first like three seasons of smallville it seems like you kick over a rock and there's kryptonite so that's right that's right um and i really think i need to create a magical spork for for my next game that just sounds amazing um
2: for the record the technical word for a spork is a runcible spoon and so use that wisely in your item creation (laughs) runcible r-u-n-c-i-b-l-e runcible spoon Oh
3: man. And if you put like a hashtag on the handle somewhere, it's an octathorped to runcible spoon.
0: Oh, yes. I totally need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> then they're going to have no clue what we're talking about. I mean, they're gonna be gonna be like, this is a sport, I'm like, but it's magical.
3: Uh, oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Okay. Dan, what else you got for, for us from the internet?
0: All right. Let's uh, jump over to this one. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm running a campaign. In the game, a player has worked very hard and somehow tricked me into becoming a king of an evil kingdom. Good for <laughs> him. He deserves it. However, how do I keep him from, one, going into his town treasury and looting all the gold and buying everything in the DD manual, two, uh, rolling his army out to do quests for him? Furthermore, how do I challenge a king intellectually and in battle? A personal army would be very annoying for me to maintain or fight. Imagining rolling 20 times per turn. Any thoughts would be appreciated? Oh, I got this. Oh, Tracy, take it
1: away. Oh, I have so got this. Just because you're king doesn't mean you're in charge. <laughs> go yeah. ahead go ahead, and let the guy be king, you know, right? Get, but then give him scheming courtiers who are more than happy to just leave him as king as long as they run the treasury, they run the army, they run the goons yeah yeah now it king becomes prison at this point and how do you get out of that becomes the story
2: nice that's brilliant i can't believe that you're shattering years of traditional storytelling everyone knows that my favorite film is aladdin in which the kind (laughs) vizier jafar plays absolutely (laughs) no interference whatsoever yeah you know Oh, yeah. oh, but Alton, Alton, what? Yeah. What if you? What if you were the
0: chump, evil king? Yeah. No, and, and we haven't seen this played out in Dragonlance either with yeah. the puppet king. Wow, uh. spoilers!
2: Jeez. At yeah. any rate, I do have one other thought in that regard as well, which again goes back to that rule of cool thing, right? It is, in fact appropriate to tell the story that your players want to tell instead. If this is in fact the crowning, alpen's intended, achievement for Mm -hmm. them in this campaign, and you can write them a beautiful outcome in which they get to do that thing and you move on and you start the next campaign, they don't have to know that you already have content prepared that you're just loading in, right? This is something that has happened to me a number of times as I've run people through, you know, shorter adventures as well as some longer campaigns in which they have found an extremely satisfying personal goal that to them gets them across the finish line. And that's okay to say, sweet, this is another one of the Thousand and One Tales. Krebs.
3: And you know what, I've got two ideas that come to mind as I've been listening to all this and, and I love, first of all, Tracy, that was like a a genius answer. And I love it. If, if the player wanted to be King, find a way to make that experience the exact thing they want to escape, because that, Mm -hmm. that happens in real life too. this whole idea of like, oh, if you had three wishes, what would you do? And then we see story after story from, from storytellers all over the millennia that, Uh, tell you about like, sometimes it's better to want than to have, right? But the two ideas that came to my mind that are slightly different than the previous answers, one is usurpation. Yes, he's king right now, but a king is not king for always. And it would be so great, very much like Jafar, to have a secret usurper, maybe someone that he has trusted, maybe someone that he has appointed, maybe someone that came with him on his adventures and was trustworthy, but was corrupted by power, uh, you know, filling his eyes. Um, usurpation and his life being in threat your question was how do i prevent him from reading the treasury make it so that reading the treasury is not as important as escape right uh and maybe he raids a little bit because he's got to travel with something uh and so you've got you've got great opportunity here for true character development by finding new motivation for your player character look they're going back to alton alton's secret button right that's all good it's all good um but, but before, i,
1: I, I but really love this idea that you know oh i'm going to steal everything in the treasury let's all I'll load it up on wagons yeah, because right? it's a huge amount of stuff that's right, right. so we loaded up all on wagons and i tell the wagons where to go but they somehow didn't arrive right we right. started
3: with 13 chests and at every stop we got two chests lighter got two chests
1: a slider. And for that and for that matter, the guy that was in charge happened to be working for the guy in the treasury. And it just went around the block and it's right back where it was. But I mean, there are so many ways to deal with that in terms of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, people, people say, oh, I'm going to, they think they can just tell the DM, oh, I'm going to take all the money in the treasury without thinking how much stuff yeah that is and how much that weighs it's not like you can carry it out in like a big wheelbarrow
2: what do you know this king specialized in jade elephants (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, and and the other and i and i really really hope that i'm not going to steal krebs's next thing but the natural evolution to both of these trains of thought is kings become paranoid (laughs) right And even better than trying to stop them with an unexpected twist from someone new coming into the story is maybe the King was prepared for an assassination attempt. Maybe the guy who came before was pretty confident that somebody was going to try to come into his treasury at some point. And what do you know, there's magical traps or the treasury is not actually the real treasury. It's just a ploy that's been put forward for the people in neighboring kingdoms right? That's Give right. Give yourself some outs there. Um, yeah.
0: Or maybe uh, the previous king hired a dragon as his accountant. Oh my gosh.
3: There it is right there. There it is. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's, I'm going to jump on that right real fast. Um, you're playing D and D and it sounds like your player has beaten the first D that's dungeon. What about the second D right? Yeah. And danger. remember danger. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say on this show, the D <laughs> always stands for, Uh, that's right. You know, there's, I, I believe in the concept. There's always a bigger fish, no matter how big your player is, no matter how big they become, there's always someone bigger. He has a kingdom. There's a bigger kingdom. There's an alliance of kingdoms. There's a dragon. There's a kingdom of dragons. There's an alliance of kingdoms of dragons. I mean, there's always something bigger and you don't have to get so heavy handed that it can't be, you know, um, the suspension of disbelief is violated or anything like that. But there's always, there is always a way to karmically address your players properly. And so, okay, so now you've got multiple avenues here to help you with that problem. I am positive you're going to find the one you know in your player that's going to give them the best opportunity to make the best story. Run with that one.
0: Or or just, just, you know, the treasury is built like Gringotts from uh, Harry Potter, you know, all (laughs) all those goblins and that extensive train and that, that dragon. Yeah. Uh,
3: Surprise. The entire treasury is nothing but like foil wrapped chocolate and rock candy.
0: Good job, everyone. Yeah. All right. So I found another one and well, I'm I'm pretty sure. uh, Yes. This is the final question, which is why I've left it for the final question because well, it's just fitting. So the question is when in Ravenloft, would the town in question know that the Dark Lord is indeed, say, a vampire, that he or she would be the, re- uh, the real ruler of that domain? For example, Barovia. Strahd has been there for a very long, long, very long time. How do the villagers see him? Simply as an undying ruler or a ruler at all. For, for what he is, a powerful vampire, for the real ruler of Barovia... His castle is simply a haunted castle that's been there since the beginning of Barovia or that the castle Ravenloft is the home of the vampire Dark Lord. I okay. guess it could vary from DM to DM, but I have always wondered how you would explain it.
2: Okay, so I want Tracy to go last on this because I don't <laughs> want to be contrarian and I also don't want the internet to hate me for trying to tell, you know, at any rate. <laughs>
0: so how it is over the creator of Ravenloft.
2: Yeah, but as somebody who spends quite a bit of time in Barovia land and helps (laughs) a lot of players run various editions of Ravenloft, but most notably Curse of Strahd. This is a thing that I believe is actually a power technique that you need to be aware of as a GM, okay? Even if you have a pre-existing module that has some amount of content in it and you feel that it's rigid and things that need to happen your first step, if you want to run something like that, in my opinion, is understand what the basis of that world is. Whether you're intending on playing it exactly as written or whether you believe that it's worthwhile to change something to your whim, all of those decisions need to be made before the players sit down at the table, which means, it's probably worthwhile for you to read through it or watch a playthrough online or reach out onto Reddit or to your favorite friends at Dungeon Crawlers to ask critical questions because both answers are correct in my opinion and it all depends upon the tone and the structure of the story that you are trying to tell within Barovia. My personal opinion is thus, my favorite way to run Strahd is everybody knows he's the kingpin and the people that are there both believe that there is no way out. It is part of the dread. It is part of the upset. It is part of the thing that should set the tone for your players. Now, I have also had to adapt, adopt Curse of Strahd to play with a younger audience or people who deal with particular triggers and upsets and things like that. And so there are situations in which that is not something that makes sense. But going back to our gold, silver, and bronze rules of storytelling, as well as our platinum and electrum rules, right those rules start to come in effect even before you sit down at the table and if you understand what your players want and need out of a campaign you can help to tone the structure of the story and the interactions with the characters that are going to be in it towards those players before we pass to tracy krebs any additional thoughts from you
3: Actually, I think you answered that beautifully. That I, I admit I have never played any aspect of Ravenloft or Curse of Strahd with the exception of one time in a board game. But Curse
0: you! Curse you. But,
3: but what I like about what you said, Alton, uh, the idea that everybody knows the truth. I mean, I was, I was floating between, you know, in the original story of Dracula, you have the village people and they live on superstition and superstition propels them but it also compels them and it also entraps them and you have some people who are skeptical maybe they don't believe at all and some are such fierce believers that it replaces their religion you know you that's the whole gamut of people and the same thing can be said here if everybody knows the truth if everybody, if everybody knows that he's he's the one right then you've got a group of people who feeling trapped will be sympathetic to the players and try to help them in their endeavors and you will also have those individuals who seeing opportunity for their own self-preservation will act as as uh, absolutely um devoted goons because they think it will curry favor and then you've got everybody in between who doesn't know what to do
2: yeah can i share one specific thing I'm going to share one specific thing. (laughs) I don't know what percentage of this actually comes out of the book and what percentage of this is mine anymore because I've run this particular scene (laughs) so many times. But my absolute favorite way and time to introduce players to Strahd in the flesh is at the very beginning of the campaign, when they very first enter the village. And what you do is you hear the bell ringing in the distance right? And it keeps ringing. So eventually they're going to make their way over to the chapel. And what they come in upon is Strahd reviving the pastor who has just tried to hang himself in the belfry. Strahd drove him to do it, let him struggle, and then resuscitated him right at the verge of death and tells him plainly to his face, I control who lives and dies here. Continue about your business until I tell you otherwise. Oh, hello, the rest of you, right? (laughs) And I've written a whole bunch of different dialogue depending on the group that I'm playing with. And I will tone that down depending on the group that I'm playing with as well. But introducing the players to that critical idea so early allows everybody to understand that concept from the get-go. And it adds a feeling of, both dread and kind of incredulousness right from day one so that when the townspeople tell you you have to do this like you you just you have to do this there is no other way out and when all of the Vistani come through and start to read your fortune they're like oh man you better go get all these things and go try to do the thing it gives players a real Pull instead of a push because the whole world is convinced that that is the only way through. Okay, I'm going to be quiet. I'm gonna pass <laughs> and <it>. now
3: <laughs> the master himself, Tracy Hickman. Oh, oh, you're on mute, bud.
1: Oh, that's much better.
3: Yes, yes, yes. there we go.
0: The silence.
1: Was <laughs> We go back to the original, um, uh, the, the origins of uh, of the modern vampire, and the origins of the modern vampire actually uh, come from Doctor Polidorus, who was the uh, who was Byron's doctor, and who was also present um uh at the retreat where mary shelley was there and and wrote the original frankenstein what is what is less known is that dr polodorus byron's uh, physician also wrote a piece and he wrote a piece called vampire which was about a vampire what uh, and and in some ways it may have been his way of trying to get through to vet to Byron, to tell him what a monster he was, hmm. because the vampire was the gentle was the gentleman vampire, meaning that he was very much a, an archetypical Bluebeard character. He was a a woman hater, a um, a user of women, and um, and so. Um, centered in self that um, uh, that while he was a, a beautiful thing, he, he was, in fact, an abuser and a user of women, um, which actually is, I think, the foundation of the vampire as we understand it today. Dracula uh, was very much in that same mold, and in fact, Brahms- Dracula, in many ways, was a was a um, comparison of of uh, Victorian morality um, versus uh, sensuality and and uh, uh, and base drives. Um, uh, and so and so at the at the at the fundamental root of the vampire is a monster a sociopathic creature um, uh, it, it's one of the reasons that I find uh, glittery vampires so abhorrent
0: <laughs> I get it
1: um, because because the the glittery vampire is uh, uh, is an attempt to make the monster palatable um, if I love him enough, He'll quit beating me, or sucking my blood. In this case, mm-hmm. um, which is which is an anti archetype for uh, for women, um, and so in many ways, Dracula and the and the modern vampire is actually a cautionary tale, cautionary female tale, feminine tale. Um, Strahd is no different than that. And in fact, I do think that Curse of Strahd did an excellent job of setting this up in terms of the world of Ravenloft. Um, And that is that people who live in Barovia, the denizens of Barovia, the villagers, the people who are here, um, are like Strad, also damned, that they are stuck in this existence um, because of an irredeemable flaw. Um, and if they were to find redemption, they would be. They would leave. They could not be here anymore. It is their own flaws and their own. Um, myopia that keeps them here so when in in talking about the you know talking about the turn in terms of the villagers in Barovia, you know saying oh the heck with this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna follow this anymore i'm you know, gonna move to shropshire you know or you know uh, uh or uh, nottingham no it, it that's not the case the people who are here this is their this is their this is their hell. This is their damnation, and this is—they uh, mm-hmm. are here for cause. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and as as damned in their own way as Strad is. So this is not a, necessarily a natural existence for them, um, and that I think is why what, what makes the people here so. Difficult uh, for outsiders like our adventure groups who come into Barovia. Uh, it makes it very difficult for them to relate to them because they are, in fact, very, in many ways, either selfish or hopeless um, and stuck here uh, in terms of their existence. They're not moving forward. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how I see the uh, the allegory of uh ravenloft is, is that we can imprison ourselves in our own hopelessness in our own faithlessness in our own um um self selfish self and that is only by getting outside of that that we find any kind of redemption from uh from the prisons that we forge uh, on our own. So I don't see the people of Brobia as um, having any real choice in this unless they can find a way to be redeemed. And, and in fact, redemption itself is the story of Irina Kalyana and, 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 and very much at the heart of putting an end to Strahd. It is in fact the return of hope that Irina um, brings to the land that not not only destroys the vampire ultimately, but but also destroys the uh, the damnation that is holding everyone back.
2: Nice. I'm so pleased that you talked about the primary themes there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I I actually pulled up one of my favorite utterances. From this scene that I've ever written, mm-hmm. uh, if you'll indulge me before we pass it past, pass it back to Dan. Yeah. Again, setting the scene, he's just walk- the players are just walking into the chapel as Strad is, you know, helping this uh, this this pastor up after you see the cut rope from the belfry fall into the floor, and he says, "When you have finally failed to entertain me." I will send you to the mists myself until that time go about your business. There will always be souls to shepherd after all. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must tend to other lost sheep. Nice. And then he turns around and just starts talking to the players like nothing at all has happened behind him and invites them to dinner. And it's a whole lot to do. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thank you for helping answer some really cool questions And uh, let's pass it back to Dan to take us out.
0: Well, I mean, before uh, I I close up the show, definitely, if you haven't already, go check out Kickstarter. Grab your copy of XDM. You will not be disappointed. In fact, uh, as we started this episode, I I, I jumped and grabbed my copy because I'm excited. I love my copy. I have used it many times when playing with my kids or if I need to put together a real quick game. Uh, The rules are simple. It's light and it's all about storytelling and having fun you pretty much use one die and that's it um now if that, those rules change in the second edition don't shoot me because that happened. <laughs> you know it may be two dice or maybe it's just a really really big d20 you have to roll so that would be even better um but go do that also uh, uh check out tracy and his dear wife's laura's um from the hearth is that what it's called uh the
1: dragon hearth live which we're doing uh, on twitch and on youtube and on facebook we're streaming live to all three uh, having a great uh, great time with that we're um uh, we are um not only excited about xdm but um the uh just uh, uh, two other things the uh our Dragonlance novels uh, that I'm doing with Margaret Weiss. We have, have uh, that trilogy is going to be starting next year and uh, 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 coming to the public next year, I believe. But um, just so everybody should know, the uh, the second book was uh, accepted here. So we're actually two books into it, Margaret and I. And yes, have the third book to go. So we're very excited about that. And one, uh, one last thing, um, I need you all to stand by because um, next month, uh, next month, um, Laura and I um, are uh, going to be uh, launching uh, uh, perhaps the, the most important Kickstarter that, that we've done. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, I can't tell you about the project right now, um, but it is, uh, um, it is the project that most excites me. Um, and, um, when does, when, when does this air, by the way,
0: it'll be on Friday this Friday. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, we've, been, we've been doing little announcements here every, week, every couple of weeks. Uh, we've got another one that's due out uh, next Wednesday um, that uh, wraps it up a little bit. But um, uh, I, I, I can't say uh, enough about how excited I am about this new project that's, that's, coming, uh, that's coming your way and how uh, I am so looking forward to everyone's help and participation. In, uh, in in making this uh, new uh, project uh, a reality, we'll tell you more about that as we can.
3: That's awesome! Thank you for the teaser on that. So we'll be keeping our eyes open yes. for
1: next month, meaning September. Yeah, September. Uh, no, actually, we're going to be launching it in October, but we'll October. get some more information out for everybody uh, here in the next month. You'll you'll know what it is awesome. that we're building. And it is revolutionary. Oh, wow. Those are big words. And I believe them a million percent. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I pay money to use the big words. (laughs) You get paid money to use the big words.
3: I I I love that
2: about you. (laughs) He is a professional maker-upper after all. Yes.
0: Yes. (laughs) You know, one day I'll be able to make money just by making crap up. I'll make a little bit, but one day I'll make enough. Anyways. So, folks, uh, again, Tracy, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for uh, talking about XDM, uh, as well as Dragonlance and uh, the Hearth and, and, of course, answering these, these wonderful questions. It's always great to have you on the show. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. And please, folks, go out, support Tracy and his endeavors. You will, the artwork, I, I'm assuming Howard is doing the artwork again in this book, uh, it is both amazing and hilarious at the same time. And it's, you know, I, I seriously hope there's another redacted section in this book because that was hilarious. Um, I, 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 I do love
1: the redacted section. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's uh, 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 yeah. yeah. And the weird thing about the redacted section is that it is actually based on things we found on the Internet and If we <laughs> had not redacted it. We could be in serious trouble. Yes. That's amazing.
0: So definitely go out, do this. Again, enjoy your games. Do what's best for you and your players. Have fun at the table because that's what gaming's all about uh, as well as storytelling. Uh, it, that is the key. Remember our rules as well as the great information Tracy has given us this evening. And with that said, I will catch you. Well, we
2: will catch you next time. And dungeon crawlers, whether it's your first story or your thousand and first, Tell your story, whatever may come. And
3: whether you're just making it up as you go along, or you've taken some time to really consider the direction of all that you do, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you. Always.